If you're listening in or around the Beltway, this is your signal to get outside. The nonprofit group The Trust for Public Land ranked DC's public parks as the best in the nation. Arlington's parks in Virginia were ranked fifth. This is Pulse Check. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Politico's Megan Wilson scooped yesterday that the leader of America's health insurance plan, the nation's largest insurance industry lobby, is stepping down. Matt Isles, the group's CEO, will leave his position at the end of September. Isles hasn't announced his next move yet, but said that he will likely stay in healthcare after taking some time to regroup following his five-year tenure at AHIP. According to an analysis of millions of patient records by electronic health records firm Epic Research, the risk of stroke associated with the Pfizer-BioNTech bivalent COVID-19 vaccine is lower than that of a flu shot. The FDA and CDC had flagged a potential link between the COVID shot and stroke in older adults through their surveillance system in January. And new data released by the CDC reveal a significant decrease in new HIV infections in the U.S. between 2017 and 2021, with a notable 34% decline among 13 to 24-year-olds. Alice Miranda Olstein explains. Great to talk. So can you explain what the data from the CDC show about new HIV infections in the U.S.? It seemed like, you know, infections going down overall is a good thing. Absolutely. And this is a really rare bright spot in the data around sexually transmitted infections. I've been reporting on how a lot of other STIs are going up, 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 up to record levels. Syphilis in particular is really bad right now. And so to see data on HIV infections going down is amazing. And there are some really big wins hidden within the data. The number of people who know their HIV status is increasing. The number of people who are then getting linked up to healthcare is increasing. The people who are getting appropriate medication to make sure their viral load is fully suppressed and so they're not contagious has gone up as well. So a lot to like in here, but still a lot of challenges ahead. Still a lot of HIV infections in the country, and we are not currently on track to meet the goal set under the Trump administration and upheld by the Biden administration of really bringing the HIV epidemic to an end by 2030. Why do health officials consider the current situation regarding HIV prevention and treatment inadequate in that case? Yeah, so it's really encouraging that infections are dropping in young people because young people make up the bulk of the new infections and have for a while. It makes sense having more partners and more sexual partners in that age group. So improved access to testing, improved insurance coverage under the Affordable Care Act has been key. And in particular, coverage of the drug PrEP, which is a pill that you can take that protects you from HIV transmission that has been covered under the Affordable Care Act with no copays just in the last few years. And we can talk about in a minute why that might not continue, but it has been a major factor in getting young people in particular more protected and leading to a drop in infections. So the thing that public health officials are still really worried about is there's just really bad racial disparities within this data. While infections among young gay and bisexual males dropped 45% over 
this time period they're studying. It only dropped 36% among Latinos and only 27% among African Americans. And that was really reflected in lots of different factors. So when you look at who is getting prescribed PrEP out of the people who could benefit from it, it was 78% of white people, but just 21% of Latinos and just 11% of African Americans. So really bad racial disparities that we're still seeing even as all groups improve slightly. Were there any other significant drivers of the disparity that the CDC found among these racial groups? They were saying, look, these are the same disparities we're battling across all parts of the healthcare system. Racism, homophobia, lack of access, both physically, like are not able to drive to see a provider in your area, lack of access because you might not trust the providers around you because of things you've experienced or historical factors. The same reasons we see broad racial disparities in COVID, in MPOX, in really everything else are showing up here as well. So what do health officials and lawmakers say are the barriers to accessing HIV treatment and prevention services? They say that testing and treatment needs to be available in more places, including more places that at-risk people actually go to and trust, which might not necessarily be a doctor's office. So thinking of ways to get at home and self-testing into more people's hands, either by mail or something that can be at a community center or another trusted place. They also say that it's time to stop putting HIV care in a silo. It needs to be better integrated into general health care and you still have a lot of primary care providers who are not comfortable talking about sexual histories and risk and HIV, not comfortable doing examinations and testing. And so they say that really needs to change as well. And then there's just not enough funding and could be even less funding depending on what happens in this debt ceiling deal and the subsequent budget negotiations. Like I said, the country is currently not on track to meet the ending the HIV epidemic national goals, and it would take a surge in resources and funding to turn that around. And looking forward, how might new laws in GOP-led states targeting gay and, and trans youth impact their likelihood to go seek HIV preventative services? And can you talk more about what the distrust in government does for individuals seeking health care during future disease outbreaks and other health emergencies? Yeah, this was a theme that came up. So I recently came back from the annual conference of the National Coalition of STD Directors. So the people who work on this in every state were there and Biden administration officials as well. And they were raising that you have this wave of laws in a lot of states to restrict access to gender affirming care, to restrict access to abortion, to restrict STD services. And so that besides the sort of direct tangible effects also has an indirect message that those people don't feel like the government is looking out for them and looking out for their best interest. And so when the government then turns around during a new disease outbreak like MPOX that we've experienced and says, hey, actually, all of you people, you need to come get this vaccine. You need to do what we say. That's a tough thing. That's a tough message to get across because they feel on the one hand that the government doesn't care about them. And so they're like, why should I listen to you now? So that was an interesting thing that some people people brought up, including some pretty senior federal health officials. All righty, Alice. Well, thank you so much for breaking all of this down for us. Absolutely. Thanks so much. 
And before you go, I wanted to let you know about the Political Healthcare Summit on Wednesday, June 7th. The summit will convene lawmakers and government officials to talk about how tech and innovation are transforming healthcare. You can learn more and register for in-person or remote attendance at politico.com. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah is our producer. Annie Reese is our senior producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.